Welcome to Season 8 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Passionate about leadership education? You want to expand your resource toolbox with practical teaching, learning, and program design strategies? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I'm Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. In our eighth season, we've been focusing on research and scholarship in the field. We've been asking the question, where do leadership educators go for research? We've talked to journal editors. We've talked to editors for publications for practitioners. We've talked to leadership scholars and peer reviewers. During one of those episodes, we were talking to Drs. Tony Andonaro and Cristan Salente Scandell about their leadership of the National Leadership Education Research Agenda 2020 to 25. It sparked a cool idea. Why not talk to all of the lead authors of the nine priorities from that agenda? The agenda was published originally in volume 14, issue number three of the Journal of Leadership Studies. Yeah, and uh, we're excited to jump in and make this idea a reality. So as a refresher, the purpose of the National Leadership Education Research Agenda, or NALERA for short, 2020-25, it was to provide a roadmap for future research in leadership education and was developed by a pretty large group of leadership scholars and practitioners from uh, many different fields. Um, And the intent of that project was to guide researchers in identifying important areas of inquiry and developing research questions, uh, also designing studies that might contribute to the understanding and improvement of leadership education. In the end, the agenda culminated in nine priorities that would inform the future practice and development of the next generation of leaders. And we're super excited to start you out on this journey after hearing from uh, Tony and Kristan with uh, the lead author of the uh, priority number one, which is titled A Call for Centering Social Identities. And uh, today we're speaking with Dr. Cameron Beatty, Assistant Professor and Program Coordinator in the Higher Education Program and the Associate Director of the Leadership Learning Research Center at the Florida State University. Welcome to the show, Cameron. Thank you, Dan and Lauren. Thank you for having me. We're super excited to have you and uh, always have a soft spot in our, uh, in our hearts for anyone who works at or went to school at the Florida State University. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> it, is, it is good times indeed. So I'm curious, Cameron, so you, you have you got a pretty big author team here, no short task, I'm, I'm sure, to, to bring all these folks together, but also some fantastic folks. So I'm curious, how did you end up involved in this project? And then I guess, secondly, uh, what, what excited you about contributing to this particular uh, priority? Yeah. Um, well, first, I had not heard, in, would you say, in, in Lara? I had not heard the, the nickname in Lara yet. <laughs> well, hold on. There is some debate because I feel like we live in a space where we have N-L-E-R-A and Lara, Nalora. Like we've been debating what this actually should be called. So if you have another contribution, set a straight, please set a straight. Can no, I, I really don't. I, it's the research. Ag- I call it the research agenda. It's it's the research agenda, the latest, right? Because I know there was, there's been one or two before. So. So I just right. call it the research agenda, but I had not heard that nickname. So I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so for me, yes, it was like, is it nine of us? I think there's nine of us on this particular priority. And how it came about, I'm not sure what, what Tony and Kristen shared with you. But what I remember is, look, I feel like now we're doing historical 
keeping historical records here. What I remember is that they asked for a call, right? And they wanted a call around the research agenda. They talked about the priorities that came out of the research agenda before that. And my colleague, I had just gotten to Florida State University at that time as an assistant professor. And my colleague and I, Kathy Guthrie, were like, hey, let's put together a proposal. Let's put a call in. At that time, we were working on a book, uh, the Culturally Relevant Leadership Learning book, uh, specifically around how leadership educators were using the model and applying it in practice. And we were like, well, there should be some research around using culturally relevant practices to engage undergraduate students in leadership. So we're trying to put our call together and we finally put something, we actually had, we actually put two proposals together. And when we got the email from Kristen and Tony, it wasn't what we anticipated. So we thought, okay, we got accepted. So we're going to work on our call. But what they did was, well, there were another group of scholars that also got accepted and they were around the similar themes or priorities. And then they grouped us into priority groups. And then it was our responsibility to kind of produce a product of a research priority based on based on that. So the goal was kind of to put our proposals together into into this research research agenda priority one. And I don't even think we were priority one at the time, actually. I think based on once they got the drafts, they were like, well, let's move some things around. And we eventually became priority one of starting with social identities because of how we framed uh, the research agenda in the art. It's not an argument, but we framed an argument of why the priority should be around centering social identities. And it was actually three proposals in one. So it's myself and Kathy's, uh, Julie Owen and her team had some things around gender and social identity as a proposal. And then Lauren Orwin and, and Nick uh, Tapia, they had some thoughts around some critical perspectives of thinking about social identities. So we all came together on a call, nine people, and we're like, well, what are we gonna, how are we gonna write this, right? I think we only got like 2000 words. So that's another whole nother layer of this that, that we could get our thoughts out and to put three proposals together in only 2000 words, it was, it was a struggle. I uh, somehow volunteered to take the lead in organizing us. Um, and then what we decided was that each of the lead authors on the three proposals would kind of be the be the team that spearheaded bringing our thoughts together in a cohesive way that could that readers could follow, both practitioners and researchers could follow, and it actually be useful. Uh, we didn't want a really heavy theoretical piece. We wanted to be really clear about about the priority and then what that priority would look like for for leadership education research. And myself, uh, Julie Owen, and Lauren Oren were kind of the, the leaders in, in some of that thinking. Um, and then we asked the other contributors to edit, to give feedback, to did this capture what we what your group originally thought? And then is it cohesive into, into one piece and a priority? And that's how ours came together. That's what worked for us. Uh, we know other priorities did it a little differently, but um, I was also on another another priority and we, that priority did do it very differently than, than, I think I'm on priority four or five. Um, and that priority did it very different. It had a different process than what we did with priority one. Yeah, got it. No, and, and what, that's a... It's a strong writing team, and it's interesting as I reviewing each of these nine priorities and reading through the research agenda or the NLARA uh, again, Cameron, that going back down memory lane with the original research agenda being part of that team. And, you know, this was one of the really major things that did come out of that, because um, not only, you know, one of the things that we did a little bit differently with that research agenda is I know that Tony and Denaro and, and a group of graduate students, I think it was the University of Florida at the time, 
they pile through a group, you know, of you know, stacks and stacks of journal leadership education, journal leadership studies, JCSD, a couple others, um, trying to pull out what were some of the major, you know, uh, implications for future research and what have you. And that kind of informed the perspectives that that we took when we started to tease out those priorities. But um, in doing that, these pieces of the identities of the leadership educators themselves, the multiple identities that that we hold and that we bring to our teaching roles um, and the positionality that we take, as well as the multiple identities and the intersectionality that the students and the learners bring to that space. And it was something that had been really underexplored, with the exception of maybe like the lid model, but that's only looking at one specific framework, right? And so really, really pushing us as a discipline to not only meet students where they're at, but also to meet educators where they're at and how that informs the study and practice of this. And I, I appreciate how you all were able to, I think, really clarity present that to the discipline in this in this party. What, what did that process look like? And uh, wh- why was that so important to you? Well, yeah, thank you for that, Dan. For for us, it was really important for if we were going to offer an agenda for researchers, we wanted to be really clear about what that could look like and what recommendations we were suggesting. And with considering and centering the researchers' positionality and identities and reflexivity, we felt it was important to name that explicitly because oftentimes research broadly, we as a researcher want to disconnect ourselves from the research. And what we found in the research agenda, number one, I think point, the first research agenda that you all worked on, I think points out is that we as leadership educators and researchers are not disconnected from understanding leadership and the framework of leadership. And that understanding then helps us frame the research methodology, epistemology, theoretical and conceptual frameworks. And if we try to disconnect ourselves from, from that we're disconnecting our identities, our positionalities and other things and try to get to this objective. I'm using quotes because those of you that can't see me as you're riding in your car listening to this podcast, uh, I'm using air quotes on, on thinking about objectivity because I don't think we can be necessarily objective if our own understandings of leadership is then informing how we want to research leadership, leadership learning, leadership development, leadership education. So for us, we just wanted to be really clear about, about that. Um, because oftentimes when we think about leadership as being this objective or abstract understanding, and we try to disconnect ourselves from it, the subconscious will always seep through. There will all, our biases will show up, our, our oftentimes privileged identities show up in ways that, that we might not intend to, but are still there. Um, and we felt it was just really important to be really explicit if we're going to move forward, move forward from a critical, equitable lens that you as the researcher, as the leadership education researcher, leadership learning researcher, leadership development researcher are an integral part of the research process. You know, I think your non-qual people are going to be upset that you're like, oh, come on, come on out of the closet or come on out of the from behind the computer and tell us about your themselves. I, I, you know, I, I think it's refreshing. I also like that you ask kind of practitioners to do the same thing. So in most spaces, it's, it's researchers and scholars that are right. Um, you know, using qualitative methodologies, you tell us about yourself, everybody else, we don't want to hear it. And I think it's a, a big shift in how um, we teach leadership. I also think, and you know, and I, I, have various identities, but I do identi- identify with some of the um, groups that have been historically marginalized or underrepresented. And it kind of feels like, well, it's about time. 
Like I, I can distinctly remember when I first met my first black person in leadership, but I didn't think about like meeting my first white person in leadership or my first woman or some of these other identities. And so I think it's, it's interesting um, as well as our students want to hear these things, but they, they want to hear them in a way that's showing how it's contributing to our understanding. They don't want us to use it to like beat them down or shame them or anything like that. I know in my classes, I intentionally will use identities that they don't readily identify me as first just to kind of mess them up, to see, you know, and, and kind of throw a wrench in that conversation to, to show them like, you know, you have to bring some of these forwards before you get into a space of how you lead other people. So it was nice to see that it was priority one and that it was it was very clear. Like, I don't, I know you said you pulled together the team. It is very clear what those next steps are for research, what I think is, is what we need to advance this conversation even more. Um, can you talk a little bit about where you see the scholarship heading? So in your team, as y'all are putting this together, what were some of the things that y'all wanted to, to fit under, maybe as a branch under this research agenda umbrella? Like what would be kind of not best case scenarios, but kind of pie in the sky ideas for y'all um, in terms of this research? Yeah, well, thank you for saying that first, Lauren, because um, I, I feel like I try to do the same thing with my own identi identities when I think about having these conversations with graduate students and undergraduate students in, in leadership education. For us, well, first, let me say that Julie and Lauren, Julie really was explicit about us considering that we're not having this conversation in a vacuum and there has been other fields or other fields of study that are already having these conversations or already advanced research agendas and how do we think strategically about that. So one of the things that Julie was really explicit about is like this third wave of student development theory and what we're learning in this third wave of, of student development theory that's not, that what we're saying is not necessarily new. We're just saying it to leadership educators that haven't considered it or might not have considered it in this context. So we wanted to offer that of, of saying like, hey, there, this is not the only space where you can think about doing this type of research or this type of work. And this is what's informing our thinking and how to bring our, our field forward and move us along. Because the goal for us was to have equitable, just outcomes of research, right? If we're studying leadership, how do we have more equitable and just outcomes? And how do we do that in a way that that is thoughtful and, and that makes sense? And for us, we were trying to show those examples or, or at least align our thinking what was already happening specifically in the field of student development, student development theory. Um, so for us, that that's where some of that that thinking came from. Julie was really helpful with that. Lauren and and um, Nick was really explicit about how do we name the dominant narratives of leadership that have been centered in research um, in order to provide a highlight of why we are calling for this particular research agenda. Uh, because oftentimes if you don't see yourself in leadership, then it's hard to then think about how you might show up as a leader and bring all of your identities to that and those things that you named, Lauren. Um, so we wanted to be really explicit of saying what to do, but we also wanted to say how to do that. And we felt bringing in some of those other, thinking about the third wave of student development theory were examples of how we might do this as researchers who study leadership. You know, I, I love that, that that's where, where it's going in the future. I think about when I started my doc program, the first assignment you have to do is this big one on who are you as a leader and how did you get there? And I, my first draft was, I was student government president in college and I was in these groups and my advisor kind of lovingly handed it back and say, no, this, this ain't it. And what I came back with was I had some really like awesome 
grandmothers and great grandmothers who were like boss women who had done all of these things. And like unbeknownst when little Lauren is running around, I'm picking up all of this energy. And, and in writing that I could see, I could see exactly where it showed up in my present day. And I was like, wow, I've been carrying this around this whole time. And here, I thought it was from here, but it was actually, you know, from my childhood. And, and I then having that experience, I've tried to incorporate those conversations into my class because it was so powerful. And so to y'all's point, it's really about understanding kind of at your core, not just these things you belong to, but really getting deep into like your first group, which is your family. Um, I also think that this, the timing of this was really perfect because with COVID, we couldn't hide. Like when I went to teaching online, my son was army crawling through the back of my class on Zoom and I couldn't hide the fact that I was trying to keep up with a, a, a at the time, I guess, an eight year old. You know, I was watching him in the kitchen on his Zoom while I'm trying to teach. We couldn't hide some of those identities. Whereas when I came in the classroom, you had to judge me based on my appearance and maybe my pocketbook. And that was all you really got. Maybe if you made it to my office, you saw a little bit more. But in Zoom, that that lens, that wall, you know, the wall kind of comes down and you have no choice almost but to show more of yourself, which is different than I think students and faculty had experienced before. So I almost feel like it's the right time to call for social identities when we're exposing some more of that. Absolutely. And then on the, on the other layer of that, we, we have now come to a place of, uh, you know, being in, I don't know if it's a pandemic or epidemic, or we're just, we're just faking that we did, we're not in a pandemic, but, but that time was also right during, uh, the, the movements for racial justice and, and coming for some reckoning and then moving to now the backlash of that and people scared to even talk about identity or um, the chilling effect of talking about these particular equity, naming even the word equity, right, uh, has become this dirty word for some states or some state legislatures or some public uh, institutions such as this, the institution that I'm currently employed at. Um, and your alma mater. Uh, but it, it's really thinking about, uh, this was written almost four years, I know it came out in 2020, but we wrote this four years ago, right? Uh, it was published in 2020, and we wrote it four years ago, and it was in some ways ahead of its time, I guess that's what a research agenda should be. In some ways it wasn't, uh, but in other ways, it's it's now I read it again for the, for the purpose of preparing for this conversation. And I, when I read it again, I was just thinking about how we, I might've written it different given the current political climate that we're in, in the context of, I would, I think, I think we should be more explicit of the how. So this is what we're calling for with the research agenda. This is how you do it and how it might look given the political climate that we're in. And I, and I think we, I would have, I would have been, and I'm, I don't, Tony and Kristen would have might have pushed back because they didn't have that much, that much space and that many words for each. Uh, I don't think they anticipated nine priorities. Um, so they were definitely juggling the word count with that. But I think there should be more of the how. But I'm also, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking because I'm thinking about our current political climate uh, with that. Because I think some people might pick it up and it's like, oh, this is lofty, but I'm constrained because of, of where I work. Um, and, and the politics of what I'm navigating. So I would like to give some people a little bit more hope with a priority and offer a how, especially to those grad, uh, the real work for me is happening in dissertations. And I might be saying that because I'm a faculty member and I'm reading some of these students' work, but that's where my hope in the future is coming because that's where the work, that's where some of these questions are really being addressed. That's where some of the 
the flexibility and the creativity around methodology and methods is happening. I think it's happening in dissertations. And I always tell my students, please do not let this sit in a dissertation, like get this in a journal, get this uh, submitted to to a blog or a podcast or submit this at a conference uh, because I don't, I hate it when uh, ProQuest gets all the good work and all of us can't, can't benefit from putting things in, into action. Um, and I think some of this to your earlier question, Lauren, with the direction of a lot of this work, I think is happening in dissertations. Yeah. The way you said really, really resonates with me and, and, and having read a lot of the work that they all have done, Cameron and specifically like the leadership, uh, the culturally relevant leadership learning model and, and some of the other work. And, you know, as I look at the team of co-authors on this, it definitely had a big influence in, on my writing and teaching and, and some of the things, some of the feedback I've received from, from you as well, which I've written about. And I teach our graduate seminar for our master's and now our doctoral students on leadership theory. And that first one centers more on the self as a leader. Um, and then the second one focuses more on how they interact in like teams and groups. And there was always an assignment where they would do some type of like writing a leadership narrative or some type of personal mission statement type of thing, but more a more expanded version of that because it was they were graduate students. But it got a big turbocharge or a version 2.0 or 3.0 about three or four years ago as I think I was struggling to figure out what, what's a way to really push our learners to explore their social identities in more depth. And I had to do it in a way that it was authentic for, for me. And so I started scanning some things that I thought might make this relevant. And I'm not saying this is the perfect assignment, but the transformation that this kind of vanilla assignment took now, in addition to exploring what becomes their leadership origin story, right? And so Lauren, that resonated with me because when I, I went back and read a paper that I wrote and flipped when I was like a junior at Florida State and I was like, oh my gosh, it's like the same thing, you know? <laughs> like I like to lead from behind, look at me, you know, I'm, I'm in student government, right? But like that, so much more is going on, right? And and I think about all the other things that uh, happened in my life and the people I met and the, the perspectives that were challenged. And so now these students, they listen to this podcast that was called Seeing Ourselves as Leaders. That's from the HBR Women at Work podcast. I think it came out in 2020. And there's also an HBR article about that. So they, you know, they, they look at their leadership origin story through some different lenses. They do some sense making, but the, the thing that they struggle with most, and that requires a bit of guidance from me is this last piece where, and it's like bold face underline is how do your social identities impact your leadership story, right? And I ask them to, as they respond to these like other two chief questions that are kind of centered around these different lenses of, of their story, like how do you consider how your social identities, you know, their gender, ethnicity, nationality, religion, uh, socioeconomic class, uh, physical ability, et cetera, you know, how did that contribute to, and like how did that strengthen and or complicate your leadership origin story? And that's gotta be integrated throughout. And you know, sometimes I get papers that just dismiss it completely and, and we scaffold, right? So I get like, we do like outline in week five, draft in week 10, final paper and at the end of the semester, because I don't want, because I want a good paper, but I also want them to be thinking about these things as they're building their knowledge throughout. And I get, I get some pushback, but I also get some, thank you for making me think about that. I'd never thought about how this, this ability that I had or growing up in, you know, way, way, way uh, rural Maine, you know, had an impact on this or, you know, the, the you know, men or women that were in my life or abuse or all kinds of things come out, right? And there is a real struggle with the ethnicity piece for sure. Maine is the second whitest state thanks to Vermont. And so that is a challenge that we, that we experience as, as students are doing some of this uh, identity work. But that's oftentimes not something that they're willing to to speak about. Um, and so I do see that 
I do see that coming out and it's being able to explore that in a safe space, but also in a space that's just between oftentimes, unless they're getting uh, feedback from their peer, which they do in, at one point in the class, um, they do feel safe in that. So maybe not a question, but just an observation and kind of like a yes, you know, I've been thinking about this too. And as I think about, I want, as our learners are going to eventually be writing those theses and dissertations, I feel that responsibility to make sure that they've, that they haven't explored that in some class, it better not be mine that they're pointing that at not having that opportunity to do so. Dan, if I could just stretch the point that you had made with in the context, because I think that's the biggest part of, of asking students when thinking about their social identities and their intersecting identities is, is really the context in which uh, that they've learned about themselves and then how to enact leadership and then how that intersects with meaning the the environment, the socio-political understandings. Um, so when you were speaking, I was thinking, I just had a, I, I don't know if it was a flashback or a, a flashback to a nightmare, because it wasn't a nightmare, but it was a struggle when I was working in Iowa, right? Another one of the whitest states in, in the union. Um, and I worked, I did my doctorate there. I directed the, the undergraduate leadership studies program there. I worked with a dear, dear friend uh, and colleague who, you, who we both know, uh, Clint Stevens there, who him and I had many of these conversations. And I remember being in the front of the classroom in our undergraduate leadership class. And I, I just, something just, someone just told me to do it and I did it. And now I do it in every class. But I asked the students to raise their hand if they've ever had a gay black professor or gay black teacher throughout their un throughout their education experience and it's 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 Iowa and many of our students were rural uh, many of our students there was Iowa State University was the most diverse place they had ever been in their entire lives um, and also but for some of our students many of the students of color it was the least diverse place that they had been in their entire lives right and both of these re realities were we're navigating understanding leadership together for the hour and 15 minutes twice a week that I had them. And I asked them that question of, am I the first? And often, many times, if not, uh, I was the first person of color, let alone the first black you know, gay man to stand in front of a classroom for them, right? And for them, I wanted, what I, why I asked that question is I said, that might influence how you respond to me as the educator, whether consciously or, or subconsciously. And why that might happen is because my racial background, my ethnicity, my gender, um, how I show up in front of you is going to influence how you respond to me as somebody that is seen as the, the teacher, the leader, the facilitator of discussion, of learning, of a space, right? The same thing might happen when you get into your first job and somebody that you haven't necessarily interacted with, whether it be cultural or ethnic background, gender, uh, ability status. How, if we, if our every, we're social beings, and if we haven't exercised a muscle, then oftentimes it's difficult to do something uh, because we haven't had the practice, right? And that same thing goes for understanding culturally relevance. The same thing goes for understanding social identities and in relationship to how they influence how we navigate leadership, right? So that just gave me the flashback to, to the being in that room with those students, uh, which I became obviously, obviously very comfortable doing because I've always felt I felt it as a responsibility. If they're to your point, Dan, if they're not going to have the conversations other places, then I'm not letting them leave for me 
for 16 weeks, not having the conversation. The other piece of that, Dan, is I modeled how to have the conversation. So we don't have the conversation, number one, because we don't know how. And number two, we're fearful of what's going to come out of, of the conversation, right? So for me, my goal was to also model then how do, how do you do that, right? Or how do you navigate the unknown? How do you navigate working working with people that are different than us. Um, and for me, that was the goal of that, right? I didn't have all the answers for them, but I could offer a model of how to do that. So then when they got to student government, when they got to fraternity sorority life, when they got to their internship, when they got to their job outside of the institution, they had something to reference back to. And if I had 16 weeks with them and I could offer them that, then I felt like that was a responsibility. And I still, in some ways, feel that responsibility as a faculty member here at Florida State. I talked a lot in the few minutes that you just gave me and I forgot your question. Wait, wait, don't answer the question. Don't ask the question yet, Dan. I do want to say real quick, I love how you bring up modeling because going back to your research priority, it's all about how are we doing this work? And it made me think about um, the same thing. Like you talk about how many of your students have had a black uh, man, a gay professor. I looked up like the numbers and only 4% of faculty, full-time faculty in the U.S. are black women. And I shared that and my students were like, oh, and, and at the time there, I wasn't the only black woman and I wasn't, and there were multiple black people. So like, but they didn't know any different. They were like, no way. And they kind of ran down. So then I went back and looked at Temple's numbers or my school, my institution, and we, there weren't even 20 tenured black women professors. So we had a lot of faculty, but we didn't have a large, we didn't have a large number in relation to everybody else. And so we started having this discussion about perception and who they see. And, and everybody says, I'm here because of the diversity. And I'm like, well, you're getting it in this program, but you know, looking program to program is a challenge. Um, it also made me think about the, the, how do we teach our students how to do it? So I love that you shared that you model. I always tell my students, if you need to learn about another culture, go to a museum, or go to wherever their restaurant is and learning through food is like the best way to figure it out because it forces you to, you have to ask questions. Like if you have dietary restrictions, you have to ask questions mm -hmm. and it kind of puts you in this hot seat. Um, I also think the museums highlight the good and the bad in a perspective that can start a conversation. And so I think it's more of the, how do we encourage people to have these conversations? Because our students get it but they see their, their leaders doing it wrong mm -hmm. in their perspective. Mm -hmm. And so they need the tools to address it without getting fired. Yeah. And so, you know, and sometimes I'm like, sometimes you can't address it or sometimes it's sharing insight or, you know, and it's really about the how I feel like we've been stuck with the explaining the importance and the value it's, it's, we got to get to the how in this space. Absolutely. And I love your example with the museums and the food because it gets to taking ownership of your own learning, but it also points to things you didn't learn. Like you didn't learn, you might not, what you're going to find in a museum or what you're going to learn about food, you didn't learn in a textbook or in a class that wasn't on the test. So then it also speaks to the unlearning that has to happen because you have some assumptions and some, even some, you know, stereotypes that you formed in your mind about a culture. And when you take ownership of your own learning and be honest with yourself and then what you now have to unlearn about that particular group um, I, I love those two examples because it, it puts the onus on the on the on the learner yeah. to take responsibility for that so yeah. thank you for that too Lauren I even I even model so like a few years ago I thought I was a, an ally or supporter of the trans community and I don't know that I could ask answer any questions I just knew everybody should love and they shouldn't be hey so I 
had to, I modeled for them what I did to go learn about that community. I thought I was doing the right thing and I thought I was good nature, but I didn't, I didn't have, I wasn't armed with any information. I just knew, you know, as long as you're not trying to love my husband, I don't care what you do. And that's not what I needed to be in that space. But I was very open with my students and, and I have some students who, um, you know, identify as trans um, or, or, you know, um, want to support as well. And I walked them down. I said, here was the documentary. And then here was the book. And then I heard these stories. And it was really just because I wasn't, I wasn't taught, like I had to unlearn some things about um, how I was taught. And so again, I go back to like, it's okay to be a little vulnerable, like safe vulnerability. You don't want to get fired. Um, but those things go a little further than walking down like the the trans community is this and transgender means and walking down the the facts in a, a PowerPoint. Those conversations go farther than some of the the standard ways we look to teach our students. Yeah, yeah, being vulnerable and modeling that for students is to me that's and it speaks to authentic leadership. Like right, it speaks to all the other things. They are so interconnected. Connected, and if we can be examples for our students, that's where they're going to remember the learning point. They might not remember the citation, but they can remember what Dr. Bullock talked about, right? Like an example that she gave and was vulnerable. So then, how do I be honest with myself? Because vulnerability is such an important aspect of, of this work, and in the, the essence of vulnerability to me is about being honest. And if we're going to be honest, sometimes people need an example of what it means to be honest because they see so much inauthenticity inauthenticity in this work in higher education in leadership that they sometimes get confused with what's what's real or what's honest um and and they need another they need they need an example of what it means to be authentic so i appreciate that yeah you know and 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 the role modeling piece is so important and and what we do because you know we're trying to, to model inclusive spaces and classrooms and what have you so that you know our learners take that back to their own context. And so, uh, you know, what, what were some of the things that, that you learned about yourself as a leader or, or even a, as a follower that emerged from facilitating this writing team and, and contributing as a, as a lead author? Yeah. So let's talk about being honest and authentic. So let me first be upfront of why I volunteered to, for this particular team. I was uh, a junior. I was a junior faculty member on the tenure track uh, and an opportunity to be first author presented itself. Here, here. Uh, so I need, I need to be, yeah, I need to be honest about that. Right. Um, but it also was like, it was my lane to be first. Like, I felt like it was my lane to be first author. I wasn't doing something where I couldn't offer an expertise or a framework or a direction. I felt like I could be a strong uh, collaborator. And if I could be a strong collaborator, I could be a strong leader, quote unquote. And I don't think I was the leader, so to speak. I was just the first author with the responsibility of gathering the team and making sure that we submitted a product that we could all stand by, um, but also a product that could move our field forward. Um, and something that, that, I, that was something that was very important to me. So in that aspect, I learned that I had some self-interest, but I my self-interest aligned with the greater good in the sense of what we all wanted to, to achieve as collaborators. The other thing is if I could take the stress off of other people, because some people like they see anxiety. Number one, there's an anxiety of writing. Number two, there's an anxiety of writing collaboratively. collaboratively. Number three, there's an anxiety of writing collaboratively with eight other people, right? Like it's just a lot going on. If you've ever been on a group project, it's like the ultimate group project. Uh, so for myself, I was like, okay, this can, I had a vision of how we could do this and do it in a way that was effective and doing it in a way that still honored what everybody wanted to contribute to the priority. 
So that that's something that I learned about. I learned about myself and wanted and felt like I was able to be successful in uh, when thinking about what we were trying to achieve. And Kristen and Tony were great. They're very structured. They were great editors and and leaders for this project at the larger level. So that was also easy to 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 play into. And when you have when you have good leaders that that then could model for the group that you're leading getting back to modeling, they, they were definitely able to, I was able to do that with them when thinking about the direction for priority one. You know, I love that question. Kind of like, what do, what do we learn as we're in these spaces? Because I feel like it gives you good fodder for when you're talking with students about some of these leadership spaces, but also get you, you know, to kind of test some of this, like group 101, individual goals can't supersede group goals. And if you can align your individual goals with your group goals, then, then it works. And so, and obviously y'all, y'all put together a wonderful, um, you know, piece of work that is going to, if it, I'm sure it has already, but will also continue to spark some good conversation. I, I, the last part of this, it's more of a comment less, well, I may have a question at the end, but um, one of the things that I'm proud of, you know, we always give higher education institutions the business, but at my school, all my SFFs, they ask an open-ended question around did your instructor create an inclusive space and most school I know everybody's not doing that but it's almost my favorite question because I value inclusion and so it's important to me that students feel connected as best as possible um sometimes there are things that that we just don't control that contribute to that um but I ask I ask they ask that question and generally it's like oh yeah she does a great job she should teach everybody else how to do this and I'm like wonderful I do teach at the grad level so I'm trying um but but going back to that your both of your comments about getting students to talk about like their social identities I use something that is a little dated but it's helpful to get the conversation started called the diversity wheel and it gets students to think beyond race gender ethnicity and gets them to think about you know where they're from in the state that could affect how they show up like I have a bunch of students who are from the city of Philadelphia but then I have some students who are from rural parts of Pennsylvania and then other states and they don't even consider that in how they talk about it. And I'm like, well, here in Philly, cheesesteaks are popular where you're at, you know, it's something else. They don't even consider that in the conversation. And so it's almost like this, this, you know, loving kick in the butt to get them out of that space, but, but into a space where they're identifying places where they feel comfortable. And it, it, you can see their, their vision, you can almost see them expanding. Um, on the flip side, I also ask them to critique the wheel because some of the sections are a little dated. And so it, it, it's almost this test to see how much are they following and how much are they paying attention as well as it opens up the space for someone if there's something they don't see in their identity to jump in and share. And, and usually it's a, it's a tool for a good conversation, but also a good learning tool for them. And I kind of end it with, if there's a space on here where, where you need to learn more, pick a couple of those spaces and, and look at growing your knowledge in those areas. And then I'll share some examples where I've done that too, because I feel like we give them the same tropes, like get involved, um, op uh, learn about new cultures, but we don't give them those tangible steps to at least get them started to how, and that's what they're looking for. Um, and so some of those are, are ways in which we were able to do that. Then the other one, this is a second comment, totally separate from that. But one of the things I love towards the end is, you know, you call out leadership education research to emphasize identity, power, social justice, inclusion, and equity. 
And I, when I was reading that, it really made me rethink of how I teach certain spaces. And, and I kind of touch on some of those lightly, but it makes me feel like I got to touch on it a little, little bit heavier to get the change that we need to see. So um, at least one leadership education instructor is out there trying to use this work. So I don't know where that fits into your portfolio or any in your promotion or any of that stuff. You let me know and I'll put it in writing. But um, I like that call because it's kind of getting us out of the soft area and into some deep and heavy stuff. Um, but I also recognize I'm fortunate to be in a space where um, we, we've been using pronouns for years and students have been able to change their names for years. And so we've been in those spaces, but I also feel like our students expect us to lead in that space. And so it gives some, some good, it gives a good framework on kind of what we can leave behind and what we can move forward. So two comments, less questions. Um, I will end with, is there anything else we didn't ask you? Cause we talked a lot. And so I don't know if there are any notes that you have on your end that you want to share with our audience. No, I, I think I mentioned it, but I just want to amplify it here. It, it is really thinking about uh, how this research agenda needs to contextualize time and space. Uh, so thinking about the uh, being in the U.S., I know there's listeners for outside of the U.S. Uh, since you all, but being in the U.S. right now and, and thinking about the politics of different regions, different states within within the U.S. And then people might pick this up and say, I can't do this in my state, right? And being really thoughtful and critical and reframing that question of how do I do this given what limitations, given what constraints that I might have if I'm committed to this work? And for me, it's it's that reframing the mind and reframing the thinking to reframe the practice in a critical hope type of format is, is we have to be hopeful. And we they wanted the people fighting against equity, justice, social justice, uh, some of these, those terms that those words that you use that we end the article with, there's people obviously actively fighting against that. And for me is to think about why do I want to fight for it? Right. And it's easy to get deflated. It's easy to, to really think about, well, this is my lane. I'm going to stay in my lane and that's not my lane. And not for me, if you're a leadership educator, if you are a leadership educator, if you are a leadership education, if you do leadership educator research, to me, it has to be your lane. Otherwise, uh, the status quo, or we're going to regress uh, in terms of the types of progress that we've made to be more equitable, to be more just, for people to feel seen in leadership education. For me, that's the work that we are pushing towards for people to feel seen, more people to feel seen, more people to show up as as their authentic selves and their intersecting identities and engage in the leadership process. And if I'm committed to that work, then I need to be really creative and I need to think really critically about either how I do research or how I practice leadership education, given the constraints that I might be under both socially and politically and reframing that reframing that question, I think is an important part. If you are to pick up this, this priority one or this research agenda and you're like, I can't do this, I ask that you reframe that question to you. Great way to, to close us out. Cameron, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation and jumpstarting us as we go through all nine of these priorities with this focus on uh, priority priority number one. I definitely appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with us today and, and definitely and super excited to share this episode and your team's work with our listeners. This this really helped us to, and, and I think through, through your comments, provided some really valuable insights into the complexity and the importance of centering social identity and the work we do as, as leadership educators. So thank you again. Thank you, Dan and Lauren.
Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? Please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura JB. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at leadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators the Association of Leadership Educators, and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org.